So, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 17, verse 12. Part 4 is called Ten Horns at War with the Lamb. So, let's pray again. I've been very encouraged by your responses to these meetings, and it just shows me that God is at work and that His Word is, is resonating with people's hearts. So, let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you so much for this weekend at Heartland. It's been wonderful to be here and to have the chance to share what you have been working with me on in Revelation chapter 17. And I know I, I still have a lot to learn. We all have a lot to learn. Nobody has, has all the light except for Jesus. And we pray that you will continue to teach us and help us as we go back into your book to try to understand the words of prophecy. Please uh, help me and help us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Chapter 17, verse 12. We've worked our way through the bloody woman. We've talked about the, the beasts. We've talked about uh, the seven kings. And now we'll go down to the Ten kings, chapter 17, verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive power as kings for one hour with the beast. Very interesting, isn't that? Doesn't it make sense? God wants us to understand this verse. It's a powerful text. What is this talking about? Well, I've researched this. I've studied this. I've tried to figure this out myself. And when it talks about ten horns, the number ten uh, takes us back to the book of Daniel. And I've got a slide here that illustrates some of these uh, applications. Daniel 2, I've mentioned this before, all the way back to the first major prophecy in the book of Daniel. You see those legs of iron, and then it has feet of iron and clay. And then it talks about in Daniel 2, it goes down from the head of gold, the breasts and arms of silver, the legs or the uh, arms of silver, and then bronze, and then iron, and then it goes to the toes it actually uses the word toes in Daniel 2. Now, it doesn't actually say 10 toes in Daniel 2, but you would assume that the image of a man, when it talks about the toes, that there's 10 of them, unless this is some kind of a strange man that has 11 toes or 8 toes. Uh, you would assume that's 10. And Typically, when we go down through in our prophecy seminars and go down through the beast of or the image of Daniel two, and we get to the toes, when it says that they will mingle with the seed of men and they will not cleave to each other, we typically apply that to uh, Europe, right? To the European divisions and how the different nations of Europe wouldn't cleave together; they would mingle with the seed of men, meaning intermarriage among them but they don't cleave together. So uh, we apply that to the 10 divisions of the Western Roman Empire in Europe. Now then we move to Daniel 7, and we have those four beasts. We have the lion, the bear, the leopard, the dragon-like beast that has how many horns? 10 horns, right? And then the little horn comes up, and he knocks out three of the 10. Remember that? That's uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. And we've always applied that to the three, three of the ten in Western Europe that are being uprooted as the eleventh horn, representing the papal power, rises up in Italy in the midst of Western Europe. Uh, and that's, that's valid. I mean, I've, I've taught and I do teach prophecy seminars uh, regularly and I have a whole sermon uh, in our Startling Prophecies for America series on our YouTube channel where I go into Daniel 7 and look at that fourth beast representing the Roman Empire, look at the ten horns representing the breakdown of the Roman Empire, 
and from the barbarian nations that settled in Europe. And then the little horn, the 11th horn, the papal power grew right up there and sat right on the city of Seven Hills and then uh, did its, its dastardly work during the Dark Ages for 1260 years. So Daniel 7, we have 10 horns representing 10 divisions of the Western Roman Empire in Europe. And then we get to Revelation 13, and we have this beast that has seven heads and 10 horns and crowns on those horns, right? And that represents uh, the shift from Imperial Rome to the time of Papal Rome, when the Papal uh, Empire is ruling Europe through it's the support and its connection and its fornication with the kings of Europe. Are you following me? So we're just going down, kind of reviewing history uh, as we understand history and Bible prophecy. Now we get to Revelation 17, verse 12 again, and it talks about the ten horns. So as we go back through history, we see these ten horns and ten toes, ten horns, again and again, being connected to events in Europe. Uh, there's a slide showing the breakdown of the Roman Empire and, the, and some of the different uh, northern barbarian tribes that swept down into the empire and divided it up as the little horn was growing there in the city of Rome. Now, here's an interesting point. I thought about this, this just this morning and I actually added this slide just this morning. That's why I said I had kind of a busy morning, got up. I thought, I need to tweak these slides and I need to add this. And uh, the, the, the thought just came to me. If you look at the 10 different tribes there, one of them is called the Franks. Now, if you study history, you, you, you realize, you learn that Clovis, who was the king of the Franks, was a leading king that helped establish the papal power. How many of you are aware of that? Some of you are. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a, a major player in the development of the papacy. He was the first Catholic king who gave his legislative authority to the papal power. And it's also interesting that it was the Franks eventually became the French, that what nation was it that knocked the papacy out of power in 1798? It was France, right? So, so the Franks helped build it up and the French helped knock it, knock it down. And once again, to me, this is an argument in favor of a European application to the horns, to the horns. Now, let's go back to our Bibles and look again at chapter 17, verse 12. It says, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. So now at this point, you know, we've gone down from Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Revelation 13. And in chapter 17, when it talks about the ten horns, in this verse, it's not looking primarily to the past, but it's looking to the future. Right? It's talking about something that is going to happen. They have received no kingdom as yet. So, uh, first of all, I see, well, actually, let me say that. Let me read the verse fully yet. They've got no kingdom as yet, but they've received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and they will give their power and their strength to the beast. This is something that's coming. Would you agree? It's in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Now, I've mentioned to you that I have adopted a principle <clears throat> that I think is a solid principle, which is called the symbol to literal principle. I've, sh I've shown you that in Daniel 2. We've seen it in Daniel 7, that the fourth beast, the symbol, is the fourth kingdom upon the earth. Application, we see it in Daniel 8, 
that the ram, the symbol, represents uh, the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat represented Greece. And we saw that in Revelation 17, when the water, the waters are the people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. We see this principle over and over again, that symbols are often interpreted by uh, angels or prophets to represent something literal. So based on that principle, in verse 12, where it says the ten horns, that's the, that's the symbol because they're on the beast, which you saw are, here's the application, ten kings. So I see these ten kings or kingdoms as real kings or kingdoms in this world. Symbol, application. And I I interpret this as I've done the best I, I can do, trying to figure this out prayerfully. I apply this primarily to the literal nations of Europe because I see Europe-specific down throughout Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Revelation 13. It was one of the horns that wounded the papal power in 1798, which was France in Europe. So I apply this primarily to the literal nations, nations of Europe. But I also apply this based on the principle of dual application, which we saw yesterday, that the seven heads literally apply to the, to the uh, seven-hilled city of Rome, just like the seven candlesticks Jesus applied to the literal seven churches in Asia, but then those literal seven churches in Asia also are expanded to periods throughout Christian history. We know that. And we I've done the same thing with the seven heads. They apply literally to the seven-hilled city of Rome, but they also apply to seven kings that start with Babylon and take us down through history, which is what we did yesterday. And so I think to be consistent we should do the same thing with the ten horns, that they have a literal application to European nations, but they can also apply in dual application to the worldwide kingdoms and legislative forces of this world that are going to eventually use their power and strength by legislating the mark of the beast. And when they use their legislative state power to enforce the mark of the beast, they have given their full strength and support to the beast. And I think it's going to happen in Europe when European nations support the papal power. And I think it's going to happen all over the world as well. Now, it's interesting that if you look at that text up there on the screen, it says the ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no, and it doesn't say kingdoms as yet. It says they have received no kingdom as yet. So there's going to be a unity that the ten horns in Europe and around the world are all going to be united, and there's going to be, from God's perspective, one final kingdom of the union of all the legislative forces that choose to support the papal power by enforcing the mark of the beast. Does that make sense? And that's what prophecy is telling us. That is what is going to happen in the days ahead. Now, look again at verse 13. It's on the screen. These will have one mind. In other words, they're linked. 
They're all linked. Not just in legislation, but they're linked mentally. Satan is going to link the world ultimately with his own mind so that his mind is being carried out through legislatures to enforce the mark of the beast, which reflects the devil's will. And it says that they will give their two things, their power and their strength to the beast. This is talking about uh, the governing authorities. The governing authorities have power. They have legislative power. You know, when they issue mandates, there's uh, often force behind that, isn't there? They will give their power and their strength, power and strength to the beast. So if the, if the, if the kings give their power and their strength to the beast, then who then has the power and the strength? The beast. Because they give their power and their strength in behalf of the beast. So it's really like the, the beast has strength and power again. Now remember, he's been knocked out of power, right? He's been wounded. That's why the bloody woman is seen in the wilderness with no crowns on the heads or the horns because she's in a wounded state and the beast is in a wounded state. Now it hasn't been uh, destroyed yet in the wounded state, but it's wounded, but the power is restored. There's a restoration of that power. And that restoration is described right here when the power and the strength of the kingdoms of the world are once again given to the beast. Very significant. Now, think about this. Let's make a practical application. I always look for practical applications in prophecy. I don't believe that prophecy is designed just to appeal to our heads. I believe it's designed to appeal to our hearts and that it has practical applications for our lives. I don't believe God gave us Revelation 17 just for us to you know, think about history and world events. I think he gave us this prophecy because he wants to appeal to our hearts and he wants to strengthen our lives in our relationship with Jesus. Now, so if you think about this, when power and strength from the governments of the world is given to the beast and and the beast has all this power and strength, where do you think that power and strength is going to be? uh, Maybe I should say this. Who is that power and strength going to be directed at? That's right. God's people. In other words... The devil is going to link the kingdoms of the world and the papal power in one final thrust to enforce the mark and to go against those who choose not to get the mark. And that tells us that power and legislative power and strength is coming against us. See that? And if that's true, which I I think the evidence is right there, and we'll see it in the next verse too, um, what do we need in order to stand up against the onslaught of the world's and the beast's legislative authority that's coming against us. Dr. Kral, I'm sure you can, you're connecting the dots here. <laughs> what do we need in order to stand up against that? It's right there in the text, those blue words. We need greater power, don't we? And we need greater power strength in order to stand up against 
the world's power and the world's strength. See that? It's going to be a power battle. It's going to be a strength battle. And what does Paul say in Philippians? He says, I can do all things through Christ who does what? Who strengthens me. That's right. So that verse is telling me that I need power and I need strength from heaven to stand up against the power and strength of the kings and of the beast. Make sense? Um, this isn't even in my notes. I'm going to share something with you. Last couple days, since I've been here at Heartland, I've had some, some free time to walk around the beautiful grounds, walk down by the lake. And uh, during one of my times of just quiet meditation, uh, I, I started thinking about how in the book of Revelation, the word blessed is used. Guess how many times? Anybody know? Seven times. The word blessed is used seven times. And I've been, and I was going through those blessings. I looked them up, I found them, and I started thinking, what a, what a powerful thing it would be for me to do, would be to memorize all seven of those blessings and think about them on a regular basis. A lot of times when I go to bed at night, I've gotten into a habit doing this. I went through a big couple trials, terrible trials in the last few years, some real trials. And one of the trials had to do with writing this book. And I learned in the, in the trials and in the darkness of what I was going through that the power and the strength is in the word of God. It's in scripture. And praying for the Holy Spirit. I was talking to somebody today at breakfast, and he said he was talking about his Christian life, and he wanted some, uh, some tips. And I said, the two biggest tips that I can give you is to pray every day for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Spirit of truth to guide your mind. And the second one is to memorize the Word of God. Memorize Scripture. And as the Lord brought me through my trials, the, the, the way he did that, one of the ways was through teaching me to rely on his word, to rely on the Bible, on the promises, the precious promises, no matter what I was going through. And I've learned so many times, so, so at night, uh, a lot of times I will just lay in bed and I think about the scripture that says on his law, he meditates day and night. And in the night, as I'm laying on my bed, sometimes I can't go to sleep, sometimes I wake up at two in the morning, uh, I just, I think about scripture. I just go through the texts. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I've memorized all these verses. <laughs> and so I thought about those seven blessings in Revelation. I thought, I'm going to memorize those blessings. And, and I tell you, they're so powerful. This is not even in my notes. <laughs> this isn't even part of this sermon. But I just, I feel like I want to I talk to you about it. The, the first one is in chapter 1, verse 3, that says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. Uh, and those who, who, who hear the sayings of this book and keep what is written therein, for the time is at hand. So the first blessing is on those who read and hear and keep what's in the book of Revelation. The second blessing is in chapter 14, it says, right after the three angels' messages, it says, blessed are those who die in the Lord, that they may uh, rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And then the third blessing is in chapter 16, where Jesus says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And then the third blessing if I can remember it, is in chapter 19, where it says, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the next blessing is in chapter 20, 
when it says, blessed are those who have a part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then the, the sixth blessing is in chapter 21. It says, blessed is he who keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And then the last blessing is in chapter 22, verse 14, that says, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And I was thinking about that last verse just yesterday, and I thought, you know, I want to go through the gates into the city. Does that sound great? I want to eat from the tree of life. And the blessing is on those who keep his commandments. They will have a right to the tree of life, and they will enter through the gates into the city. So those blessings are very, very powerful. And if you were to you know, meditate on those blessings, learn the seven blessings of Revelation, and when you lay in bed at night, or when you take a walk in the woods, just start thinking about those blessings. And those blessings will sanctify you. They will lift you up above this world. They will encourage you. They will give you, as that verse says, they will give you power and they will give you strength in your Christian life. And I'm convinced that it's the word of God that will give us, through the Holy Spirit, the strength and the power that we need to resist the power and the strength of the ten horns when they give their power and strength to the beast and when they legislate and use force to command all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands or in their foreheads so that nobody can buy or sell unless they go along with the mark. I mean, that's pressure, isn't it? That's pressure. You don't have, you can't use your money anymore. Your bank account's frozen. They're probably going to use high-tech surveillance. I don't know how much longer we'll be able, I'll be able to give sermons like this. Thank the Lord that we still have free speech. We have freedom of the press that we can, you know, print the book, The Bloody Woman and the Seven-Headed Beast. We can print it. Last Generation Magazine can still be printed. Uh, and, and other, you know, we can still print great controversies and steps to Christ and Bibles. And we can, you know, share these things around the world because we still have freedom of speech and the freedom of the press and the freedom to peaceably assemble, at least that's what the Constitution says. Now go down to the next verse. Verse 14. To me, this is just about the heart of this chapter. 17.14 says, These, which applies to the ten kings, the kingdoms, which I apply again, Europe-specific and global. These shall make war with who? With the Lamb. Here's the war behind the scenes. Here's the ultimate war. And, and what's going to happen is when the kingdoms give their power and strength to the beast and the mark is enforced, which really is a mark of breaking the law of God. That's what it is. It's a mark of breaking the law of God. And when that mark is enforced by law, trying to force people to sin, which is what, it, what breaking the law of God is, it's sin. Sin is breaking God's commandments, 1 John 3, 4. Then, essentially, when the world enforces sin... And the mark of the beast, it is placing itself at war with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. 
He's the Lamb. Why did the Lamb die on the cross? To bear our sins. Jesus hates sin. He loves the sinner, but he hates sin. Sin is what put him on the cross. Sin is the reason why he died. So he could atone for our sins of breaking God's commandments. That's why he died. So that he could then forgive our sins because he's paid the price. He could forgive our sins, change our lives, and bring us into harmony with his commandments. And when the world forces of the devil try to force the world to become completely commandment-breaking, that is warfare against the Lamb of God. It's war against Jesus. These shall make war with the Lamb. So you got the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the spirits of devils working miracles, the image of the beast, all the, the kings are all making war against the Lamb. Now, if you put, you know, the dragon and the beast and the false prophet and all the devils of this world. And if you put him into a, into a ring with a lamb, you know, human appearances, who do you think will win? From a human perspective, you know, what chance does the lamb have? Does a lamb have against a seven-headed sequence of beasts? Well, Uh, The good news is that the lamb is not just a lamb. The lamb is also a lion. You know, we talked about the other, uh, yesterday, about the fact that how can the woman represent the Catholic Church and the beast also represent the Catholic Church. And I've concluded that we have two faces to the same power. It has a, a woman face that appeals and entices the world, but underneath, it's a beast. It's a beast. So you have, it has two faces, the, le- the woman face and the beast face, and it's, it's, there's a parallel to Jesus Christ. He has a lamb face, but he also has a lion face. The Bible, call- Revelation calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the, the, and he's the king. He's the lamb king. And the text says that the lamb shall overcome them all for he is not just a lamb, but he is Lord of lords. In other words, and he's king of kings, which means that his legislative, judicial, governing authority is above all the kings of this world. So when the world's kingdoms enforce the mark, Jesus is getting to getting ready to rise up as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. He is above them all. Isn't that powerful? So Revelation 17, which is designed to inspire us to study more chapter 13 and chapter 12 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 2, and to fill our minds with Daniel and Revelation And I think part of that filling our minds with Daniel and Revelation is to learn those blessings in Revelation, the seven blessings, fill our minds with the word of God. This prophecy is designed to bring us closer to Jesus. 
and to help us to be on his, on his side. Now look at the last part of verse 14. This has really impressed me. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and they that are with him. That is where it really comes down to us. They that are with Jesus are three things. They're called, they're chosen, and they're faithful. Three things. The calling has to do with God's call on us. He's called us. He's calling us to learn his word. He's calling us to be his children. He's calling us to be with the lamb. That's his call. And then it says uh, chosen. He has chosen us to know these truths. What we know in the time of the end, when knowledge increases, this is sacred information that the Lord is giving us. He's trusting us with his words. He has chosen us to be his people in these last days. And then the last word there is faithful, which tells us that he wants us to be faithful, faithful to him. He does his part, we do our part. He calls us, he chooses us, and by his power and strength, we become faithful to him. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper in this last meeting. Uh, I've noticed, and this is probably the main reason why I just felt, well, I, 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 for two years I, I've mentioned to you that I've been kind of driven to Revelation 17. Study this out. And as I've done that, there's, there's this, these two texts that really spoke to me and impressed me that I needed to write a book on this. And it's verse 9 and verse 13. And there you see them on the screen. Verse 9, we already read this, and that's the whole theme of this event. Here is the mind that has wisdom. And then verse 13 says that the kings of the earth, they will have one mind, and they will give their power and their strength to the beast. So you notice from that, those two texts that there's two minds. See that? And that's really spoken to, to my heart. Two minds. Uh, Brother Norbert talked yesterday about the mind that has wisdom. And I, I, I like his focus. I really do. Where he talked about that a, a wise mind is a humble mind. Those who walk in pride, he's able to abase. Humility is so important in our Christian life. We all need it. I, I need a double dose. I need lots of humility. We all need it, every one of us. A humble mind. Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. Um, the mind that has wisdom is a humble mind. It's a mind that relies on Scripture above the opinions of the world. It's a mind that is guided by the Holy Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. Uh, it talks about in 1 Corinthians. It's a mind, the mind of Christ. It's a mind that step by step is linked with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God. Following me? That's the mind that we need to be developing in these days to stand up against the beast. And on the other side, there's another mind. And it says, these have one mind. And that tells us that the devil is seeking to bring the world under his leadership, his mind which is a proud mind. It's a self-exalting mind. It's a, uh, a commandment-breaking mind. Think of Romans 8, 7. 
that says the carnal mind is hostility to God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind is hostile to God, to Jesus, and to the Ten Commandments. Whereas the mind of of Christ is a mind that submits to God's authority, that he's the king, king of kings and lord of lords, his government, his commandments, his will, and his word. These are the two minds. And brothers and sisters, we are all in the process of developing one or the other of the two minds. This is going right into our hearts, isn't it? This is a mind message. And I've learned that the best way that I can develop the mind of Christ in my life is to pray for the Holy Spirit and to learn and meditate on Scripture. That has become the, the, uh, the core of my Christian life. And it's been such a blessing to me. There have been times when my mind has been in a whirlwind of battle. I've gone through mental battles that I can, I can never describe to you. And, and many of you, I'm sure, can relate. You know, in the midst of your life, people look at you on the outside, but what's going on inside your head? Wow, there were days when I, I felt like I was in total darkness, total struggle, like the devil was just trying to take over. And God just uh, helped me to hold on. Don't give up. Trust my word. Trust my word. There's a verse in Psalms that says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And when I was in darkness, this text just came to me, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So I lay in bed at night and my mind is a whirlwind of of struggle. And I just, I'm thinking I'm going to break through all this and I'm going to focus on rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. He's going to bring me through this. He's going to get me out of this. He's going to keep me going. And I've learned the power of his word. Two minds. So that's what this is all about. It's not just about Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, papacy during the Dark Ages, Napoleon, the French Revolution, the rise of of America, the image of the beast, the mark of the beast, things that are all out there. It's also about what's going on in here, inside of our heads. Does that all make sense? I tell you, this is, pow- this is powerful information God, because, because God's word is powerful. It's not because I'm powerful. I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like you. If I get to heaven, I'm going to say, praise the Lord. You got me here by your grace and your mercy. And your love, the love of the Lamb. Now, uh, let's keep going. We've got a little more to do in chapter 16. Or chapter 17, I'm sorry. Verse 16. We already read verse 15 about the waters being the people. Verse 16 tells us that the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. And they shall make her desolate and, they, and naked, and they shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Wow. And this tells us that the ten horns, which give their power and their strength to the beast, their legislative powers enforce the mark, that at some point there's going to be a reversal. Just like the, the woman, the bloody woman, you know, ruled during the 1260 years, but then there was a reversal. She went down, just like the true woman who was down came up and the false woman who was up went down. So there's going to be a reversal of the 10 horns supporting the beast. At some point, they're going to reverse their support and they are going to then hate her 
They're going to go from giving the beast its strength, their strength and support, to hatred and hostility. They're going to turn on her. And it's not going to be pretty. They're going to hate her. They're going to make her desolate and naked. They're going to eat her flesh, and they're going to burn her with fire. With fire. Now, here's another reason why I think that this specifically applies to Europeans. And I'll show you this reason. And the reason is because when the seven last plagues begin to fall, you know, when the mark of the beast is enforced, the loud cry goes out for, from the people who have power and strength from God to give the last message to warn the world about the sin of the mark and commandment breaking in the midst of this incredible battle that's going to go on in the final hours. God is going to defend his people. And when everybody has a chance to make a final choice and show which side their mind is on, those whose minds stay with the beast, where do they get the mark? In their foreheads, in their minds, they get the mark. And it's interesting, in Daniel 7, it says the little horn will think to change times and laws. He thinks in his mind. And he's going to get the whole world to think like he does. And that's what's going to happen when the mark is enforced in people's foreheads, in their minds. And everyone's going to make a choice in their minds. Are we on the side of the beast? or on the side of the lamb, uh, the devil, or Jesus. And when everybody makes their final choice during the final crisis, then the plagues are going are gonna to drop. Like chapter 17, verse 1, the angel said, I will show you the judgment that's coming upon the great whore that sits on many waters. And the seven plagues will fall. First plague, boils on those who get the mark. Second plague, Water turns to blood. Third plague, the uh, rivers and fountains of waters turn to blood. Fourth plague, uh, the sun scorches people with fire. And then the fifth plague, remember what happens in the fifth plague? It's on the screen. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. Now, where is the seat of the beast? It's in Rome. It's the city of seven hills because the dragon, the Roman Empire, gave his power and his seat to the beast. The seat of government is inside the city of Rome, in Italy, in Europe. And in the fifth plague, all of a sudden, darkness is going to fall on the seat of the beast. And I, and I imagine that the news agencies, even the fake news agencies, all the news agencies are going to be reporting, whether it's politically correct or not, they're going to report that darkness, newsflash, breaking news story, darkness has fallen upon the Vatican. And when the people, especially the people in Europe, who are closest to the Vatican, when they see the kingdom of the popes in pitch darkness, their eyes are going to be fully opened that this power is a dark power, that this power has not given them the light. The word of God, it says in Psalms, your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. And the people of the world, even the people of the world, they're going to realize that this power has led us into darkness. It is a deceptive power. We've been duped. We've been deceived. We're getting the plagues. We've got boils. We can't drink our water because it's like blood. We're getting scorched with fire. And it's all because of that power right 
there sitting on the city of seven hills that has deceived us into getting the mark of the beast. It, uh, the false prophet predicted that it would go well with us if we went along with the mark. But that was a lie. And now they realize we've been lied to. We've been lied to by popes. The man in white clothes. He's been an agent of darkness. And we've been deceived by popes, cardinals, priests. This whole mammoth religious system that has committed fornication with kings has resulted in our destruction. And when they finally realize that, what are they going to do? They're going to turn on her. They're going to turn on her. And the Bible says they will, uh, they will eat her flesh and they will burn her with fire. And it's also interesting, it's so interesting that in Revelation 18, when the, when the judgment hits, you've got the shipmasters, you've got the merchants, you've got the kings of the earth, and all these different people. Read about it in Revelation 18, verses 9. Uh, let me see where those verses are. It's verse 9, verse 17, and verse 18. It says they're standing afar off, and they're watching the smoke of her burning. And that tells me that that smoke of burning is coming from a literal place, a literal place in Italy, which is the Vatican, where the fifth plague falls. And they're going to see that. So again, that lends support to a real European application. I think those that are in Europe, especially, they're the ones that are going to set her on fire. They're going to burn up St. Peter's Cathedral. They're going to burn up the Vatican. Just like people were, you know, there's all these riotings that's been going on where people are burning things. Well, there's going to be a, a fire that's going to be lit in Rome. And they're going to burn this power. And people are going to watch it. That's what Revelation 18 says. They're going to stand afar off. They're going to see the smoke of her burning. And they will say, alas, this great city Babylon, how she has been destroyed. Verse 17, we're almost at the end of the chapter. It says in verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom to the beast, and also to turn on her. And he's going to use the wrath of man as part of the execution of his judgment upon this power. Until the words of God shall be fulfilled. I really have been impressed with that verse, the words of God. And that tells us how important the words of God are. The words of God in Revelation. That's why I, I just encourage you, memorize those blessings. Learn the words of God, those blessings. It says, blessed are they who keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. If you learn the, the book of Revelation, learn the words, not just to learn about events only, but to learn the power of the words in your life, to lift you up above the world and the beast and sin and the commandment breaking and the evil of this world. The word of God will lift you up. It's helped me more than I can tell you. One night I was laying in bed and I was thinking about the scripture, like the verse that says, um, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, Psalm 37, verse 7. I, I, I realize as I've been through so much tumult in my life, so much struggle inside my mind and my heart, one time I was just thinking about that and I thought, my mind 
has found the place of rest. I found the secret of how to have mental rest. And the secret of mental rest is the word of God. So I lay there and I thought, you know, when I'm going through mental battles, I think rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I I thought, Lord, my mind has found the place of rest. It's your word. I can lock into your word and I can find rest. Okay, that's powerful. (laughs) You weren't expecting to get this this weekend, were you? You were thinking you're maybe just going to get, you know, Revelation 17 and what's it all about? Maybe you weren't thinking that you were going to get the, the secret to having mental peace in your life now and in the days ahead. And this isn't even in my notes. <laughs> Praise God. It's just the Lord is just, you know, he's good and he, he wants to help you in your life. And he wants to help me. He wants to help us all. The words of God are going to be fulfilled. What's in chapter 17 is going to happen. These words are going to be fulfilled. Last verse uh, in chapter 17. It says, and the woman, and I understand the woman, that's a symbol, right? The woman that you saw is... Here's the symbol to literal principle. Here's the application. The woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. I understand that. And you read it in Great Controversy. Read the the quote in Great Controversy about this. And uh, Great Controversy applies it to Rome. Rome is that great city. It was great in the days of the Roman Empire. In the days of the little horn, it declined some, but that decline was offset or counterbalanced by the little horn who had a mouth speaking great things. The beast also, it says, He has a mouth speaking great things. And right now, the Vatican is the smallest country in the world. But its influence is mega great. The whole world is looking to the Pope for advice on what to do in the final days. And that's going to increase. There's going to be more of that in the future. So this power is great, and this power it has great influence, and this power is, a, is the, the epicenter of great deception that is circling this world. And that great city is going down. That great city, the city of seven hills, is going to be destroyed. The Bible says the beast will come out of the bottomless pit and he will go into perdition. Babylon is going down. The great city will be destroyed. The woman who sits on that city will be burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. And we have this prediction in Revelation 17 telling us what has happened in the past, what is happening now, and what is coming in the future. And we can trust the words of the Lord. These words are going to take place. Well, here's my last verse. And then we'll uh, finish this up and then we're going to have a Q&A. Take some of your, your questions. As we've seen, Revelation 17 links us to chapter 13. We've seen that clearly. 17.8 is a perfect link to 13.8. And then, then comes verse 9. 
chapter 13 of Revelation has 18 verses. And if there's 18 verses, what's the middle verse? Verse 9. And here you see verse 9 on the screen. In verse 9, Jesus speaks. In the middle of chapter 13, which is connected to chapter 17. And Jesus says, if anyone has an ear, let him do what? If any man have an ear, let him hear. Powerful. And when he says, if we have an ear, what does he want us to hear? The answer is is obvious. He wants us to hear, right, his truth that is in the word of God. Sometimes I've held seminars in front of audiences, and at the end of the seminar, I'll go like this. I'll go, I don't want you to focus on me. I'm just going to hide behind this pulpit. Where should your focus be? If I'm a good minister... I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to point you to Jesus, right? To him and to his word. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus loves us more than words can tell. No matter what you're going through in your life, no matter how many battles you're having inside your head, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how dark the stains of your life from the things that you've done that nobody else knows about. The the good news, the good news is that Jesus loves you totally in spite of everything. That was one of the things that got me through my dark days was I learned that Jesus loves me no matter what. And I just clung to that, that he loves me no matter what. And he wants us to understand that. This is what's going to get us through, you know, the dark days and the days ahead. No matter what happens, no matter what we go through, the darkest days, the persecution, the hostility of Satan, Even our own carnal minds, that sometimes we see the carnal mind is hostile to God. And we realize that there's things inside of us that are hostile to God. We think, Lord, how can I live with myself when I have these things inside my head that are hostile to you? Do you still love me when I'm hostile to you? And he says, oh, you have no idea how much I love you. That's why I paid the price on the cross for your sins, all your sins. And if you'll just trust me and my words, I'll bring you through. I won't let you down. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to hold on to you and not let you go if you'll just continue to trust in me. And one of these days, if you'll do that, you're going to look into his face and he's going to look at you and you're going to look into the eyes of your maker who gave his life on the cross for all your sins and whose whose grace, his grace has brought you through and brought me through. And we're going to all be up there And we're going to get to hug Jesus and be with him and with our Father and with all the angels and with all the saints throughout all the ages who have struggled and battled as well. And by the grace of God, they've overcome. They've overcome. He who has an ear, Jesus said, let him hear. During the Civil War, somebody asked Abraham Lincoln. He said, Brother Lincoln, do you believe God is on our side in this battle? 
with the South and against slavery. And uh, Abraham Lincoln thought about that, and he said, I'm not so concerned whether God is on our side or not. He said, my biggest concern is are we on his side? And that's what Jesus is calling us to be in these last days, on his side in this battle that is going to intensify until he comes to crush all the forces of evil and to deliver us and get us out of here. Sound good? Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much in Jesus' name. What a blessing it's been to be here. We sense your Holy Spirit here. I can just sense that your power is in this place, that you have guided our minds. You're guiding our minds. You're guiding my mind and the minds of those who are here and those who are watching to link up with you, to surrender to you, to trust you, that you are the lamb, you are the king, the lamb king. You're the king of kings, you're above all. And your grace is sufficient for us and you paid the price on the cross for all of our sins. You suffered more than we'll ever know. And you love us and you're gonna help us and you're gonna bring us through the difficult days ahead. Lord, thank you for blessing these meetings. Please use these meetings uh, far and wide through these recordings and those who are watching online. And we just pray that you will uh, strengthen us as followers of the humble Lamb of God as we wait for Jesus to come back and take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.